right, guys. My name is Jay Will. Welcome to Crypto Coffee Sessions with PureCoin Team. Uh, today we have a couple of guests here to talk about Web3 and NFTs. We'll start with Pure Chemist. I think you guys already know who he is. If you want to say a few words, Pure Chemist. Hello, everybody. Welcome. And this is the second episode. It took us a while to get this second one rolling. Sorry for that. Just uh, been busy with everything. Uh, for this topic, we have selected a NFTs and uh, Web3. We will try to explain what these concepts are, uh, how are they useful, and should you even care. Yep. And Savo, uh, Gmail, if you guys want to go, Savo, I know you are a community manager on a project involved with NFTs, right? Yeah, so I got started in NFTs in late August, early September. I was just trading NFTs and then in November, I worked on my first project, releasing an NFT, and did the same thing in December, uh, just joining teams, community managing the discords, uh, and helping sell projects. Cool. And I think, Gmo, also, you're involved with a couple of projects, right? Yeah, I'm also involved in a couple of projects and a couple of groups as well. Awesome. All right, cool. We'll uh, get it rolling. Then Pierre wants to talk about Web3. So... What I'd like to do here, Pierre, is just kind of get your idea of what Web3 is as a whole. Um, I know Web3, the, the terminology was coined by Gavin Wood, obviously, co-founder of the Ethereum Foundation, um, or the project, not the foundation, rather. And uh, it's kind of evolved into something bigger, like how crypto usually goes. Uh, so what do you view it as, kind of where it started, and where do you think it's, it's headed? All right. So... I think it's nothing, nothing more in essence, nothing more than a marketing, uh, marketing endeavor by Ethereum guys. Uh, that's basically the summary. Of what's going on with Web3? I don't think there is an, you know, it's not something real. It's uh, what they are trying to do is they are trying to gatekeep the internet. You know, the future where, to in order to use some internet service, you have to own some kind of silly token. And of course, that token will be living on Ethereum or something like that, you know, a sidechain or whatever. But still, it's uh, it's in a way it's going backwards. Uh, you know, the internet is open. It's it's beautiful because it's open. And this this thing, this Web3 moment, they're trying to lock down the internet. So imagine like if your if Discord requested us to own I don't know some amount of some kind of token. To be able to do this podcast, or imagine that I don't know, like Reddit or Wikipedia, they everybody had their own tokens, and they required tokens to get to to, to allow you to see some content or whatever. This is this is uh, going backwards. This is a very bad precedent in evolution of internet because open source in general and internet, open internet is a movement, global movement. They have made everybody's lives better and at nobody's expense. And I think Web3 is trying to undo this. It's trying to lock down the internet and it's trying to lure people into this, uh, you know, basically pyramid schemes which are popping up left and right. Tokens, any kind of tokens, including NFTs. It's, uh, it's just, uh, you know, basically a pyramid and they're trying to find a, ne a next batch of suckers. 
What I think is interesting is the fact that the Web3 term that everybody likes to use these days was was coined in 2014 uh, by Gavin Wood. And I don't think we really even ever heard anybody talk about Web3 for the past, you know, however many years it's been, eight years, seven years now. And uh, in 2021, it gained a lot of traction when companies like Bloomberg started promoting it. So I'm curious, how do we think that Web3 made it into the mainstream randomly and picked up by venture capitalist rooms? If you spoke with Ethereum guys, uh, you know, before this bubble, crypto bubble, so if you spoke with somebody, I don't know, from 2019, even even earlier, like 2018, 17 even, you still heard, you know, Web3. And if you if you remember, MetaMask is, uh, is around for a while, and MetaMask is basically what Web3 was uh, revolving around, and it's still revolving around it. Uh, so yeah, if you spoke with Ethereum guys, they were they you would hear hear about Web3. Uh, but what happened uh, uh, in 2021? So last year, bubble, and that's why that's why you have these like let's say big names. They are they are trying to cash in on the hype, and that's it. After the bubble bursts, uh, of course, nobody will be talking about Web3 anymore. And this is where I'm going to kind of rope in Savo and Gmall. So these are two guys, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, fellas, but you guys weren't super into crypto before for NFTs. Is that right? No. Uh, not, yeah, not really at all. I partook in a little bit of the 2018 bull run, but uh, I got like, like, like a lot of other noobs. I got told my family around Thanksgiving, got wrecked at Christmas, and got made fun of. Okay. And then I sold my positions. It was bad. Yeah, so I think... Well, for us, for I think for people like us who've been around for quite some time, we've seen a lot of cycles come through. Uh, like I remember Crypto Kittens. I remember when dApps became the new big thing. I, I, I think Pierre probably remembers literally everything since the birth of Bitcoin. But uh, it's interesting to see kind of the waves that bring new users into crypto. And then I feel like kind of two phases happen. One, they come in during the bubble when the speculation market is high. And of course, here by speculation, we mean just trading. That's basically what we call trading or investing in crypto for the sake of profit, right? For speculating on prices. Um, So I think a lot of people get onboarded through speculation and the desire to make money, which I don't think anything is inherently wrong with it. But what we usually see is whenever these bubbles die out, there's a certain percentage of these people that stay in the community and expand to other crypto projects or other crypto ideas because they're actually interested. And then there's those that just completely leave, right? Because, uh, Basically, the money's gone, and that's what we're here for. So I'm curious, Salvo or Gmail, one of you guys go first. doesn't matter who. Uh, do you think that NFTs served as a kind of a gateway into crypto in general? you think it'll stick around, or do you think once NFT dies out, you, you kind of got what it, you needed out of it, and you're going to move on? Yeah, I could go first on this. Uh, so I'm, uh, I work for a finance firm, uh, and I'm a registered representative, so I'm not allowed to partic- participate in options trading or anything on the stock market really so i kind of just had to sit and watch you know all the GameStop, amc runs uh through all of covid and just sitting on the sidelines while while a bunch of people were making money uh so then come august uh it was actually gmall and my friend hunter who got me into nfts they reached out to me like 8 a.m one morning before i started work and just told me to buy this thing and I was uh I've seen the NFTs go I was watching NFTs from the sideline just thought why not sure enough got it flipped it instantly for uh like 3 4x money and 
at first I took out all the money right away, withdrew it all, and was just happy with what I made, and then decided to put it back in, just start re-rolling it, and uh, made a hefty bag off of it. And sure enough, like, I mean, I think the September, so I got in late August and September, it was crazy bull market. Come second half of October and November, it was beyond bear market for NFTs with all coin season going crazy. NFTs were dying hard, uh, but stuck it out through that. And, you know, now we're in another bull market. So I'm kind of, to your other point, I'm kind of here to stay with it. Uh, you know, still have all my money in ETH. Haven't taken out any of it yet. Taken out some, but mainly uh, mainly sticking around for the ride. Work. That's great. Uh, I'm going to address some of your onboarding questions about it. Uh, I think NFTs have been so, so great for onboarding uh, new people into cryptocurrency. Like the amount of people I know who have uh, created a MetaMask, have gotten the DeFi, have started looking into other coins, it's, it's unbelievable. There's definitely a ton of the surface people who are there for money. Ton. Like, definitely a big majority are there just for the money. But the money leads so many new people into learning so much more about crypto, about so many new coins, about so many new concepts. And I, I love that. And I love learning. Like, that. I mean, I think that's been a huge part of me as well. Like, learning about layer twos, learning about alternative layer ones. I love, I love learning about that kind of stuff. And it's, for me, it's now what's next. It's no longer just all Ethereum nfts it's what coins are coming through what can i do for this what can i learn and i think that's great and i can see other people in the space also now turning in that direction as well yeah i think i think it's valuable insight there's i think with somebody like me or pure chemist the issue we have with things like this and i want to say it's not like we're not targeting hatred against nfts right uh, we don't hate people that do nfts i don't think you're scumbag pyramid scheme is some people might think that uh, just because you you like nfts but what i think is interesting and i think pierre can agree with me on this is like non-fungible tokens have been around since birth like colored coins on bitcoin w when was that founded pierre i can look it up if you don't know at the top of your head 2013 so colored coins was was founded in 2013 which is essentially a non-fungible token so you know the, the technology has been around for ever in a day uh I think every project kind of has their own version of a non-fungible token. Obviously, Peercoin has peer assets. Bitcoin had colored coins. Uh, Ethereum had a ERC-20, which you can argue that's not really the same thing, but the, the core of the idea was inspired by colored coins and non-fungible tokens. I don't really know where this boom came from with the art side of it. I don't know how it started, but I think it's interesting now that non-fungible token is automatically associated with kind of like the art market. And it's weird because it's not what a non-fungible token is, but the name has almost been forever cemented with it. Uh, what do you think of that, Pierre Chemist? It was orchestrated. There is an article, a very lengthy and extensive article. I think you need like one hour to go, to go through it all. <clears throat> it came out about, I don't know, like six months ago or something like that. I think I shared with you guys. Anyway, it explains how the this art thing and the nft bubble about arts uh how it was basically orchestrated by groups who had extensive experience in orchestrating speculative bubble when it comes to collectibles so these guys the same group of people they have before that orchestrated bubble for retro gaming uh and something else uh i remember reading about like retro gaming specifically uh, 
so yeah, it was it was orchestrated. If you wonder how it how we got here. Yeah, and I think it becomes. I think the longer you're around and the more you become involved in the crypto, uh, I think it becomes more glaringly obvious. I think it's good that guys like Savo and Gmail that we have on here have gotten involved in actual projects. Now, whether we agree with the technology behind the projects, I think getting involved in the projects is important because there's a lot of things you learn about the cryptocurrency space that you never would have learned otherwise. And uh, this, this is things like actually interacting with people in crypto that are important and make decisions. I think what a lot of people fail to realize, especially when they're new and they're coming in on a bubble or a speculation market, is that a lot of the people that talk on Twitter, I know people love crypto Twitter. I think it's a cancer. Um, I, people think that these are the voices in crypto and that, that they have any weight. And I think anybody that's involved in an actual project can tell you that that's simply not true. I don't know if you agree with that, Pierre, but the actual people that make decisions and pull strings, you're not going to know their names. And the more you get involved in projects and actually care about your project succeeding, doing everything you can about your project succeeding, you'll naturally meet these people and then you'll come to meet for lack of a better term, the bad actors in this space, right? You start to see the darker side of crypto that a lot of people either don't know about or don't talk about. And I think that was really evident for us during the last cycle, which was ICOs. Do you agree with that? Yeah, it's history repeats. It's always the same. This is, you know, this is just another iteration of crypto bubble, okay? And this time around, uh, instead of having... I don't know, like uh, 1,700 of ICOs, we have, I don't know, like uh, tens of millions of NFTs. So my question is for Savo and Gmail, either one of you guys, now that you're actually involved in a project, has it opened your eyes to some of the kind of behind the scenes stuff? I don't know how deep you guys have gotten involved in the projects you're working with, but is is there has there been moments where you're, you're you know, getting involved with other people in the community and you're like, oh, wow. Uh, I don't like this or wow, I didn't know that this is how this worked. Absolutely. Like um, on the development side of things, like uh, doing like a lot of hiring and stuff for the projects, a lot of the developers are like super greedy, I realized. And it's a lot of the same people, believe it or not, that make the contracts for everybody. I'm saying it's unbelievable. And it's like, it feels scammy almost. And to address what he said earlier about it feels like ICOs, I agree 100%. 99% of these NFT projects will go to zero. And that's not a statement to pump any bags, destroy any bags, but it's true. That's by design. That's, that's actually by design. The guys, the guys behind these, they, they actually want it to go back to zero. Why? Because that leaves no traces. And then another thing you said earlier when you were talking about how it's all orchestrated, and then the art side of it, I agree. Because like, they had something called Art Blocks, and it was the same people bidding them up. And they put them in big auction houses, and they put, keep printing these big numbers so people buy them up, and then they resell them, and then it creates its own market. And that's not good, you know what I mean? Because it's all, all bad influence. It's all people planning to dump on you in the end. And that's probably gone to zero already. But that was huge last year, and now it's all gone. And then you've got to keep that in mind when trading NFTs, because the attention span's short. And it's because a lot of these projects are scams. So you got to pick the right stuff. Like you don't want to invest in something with no community. You got to really, it's like, it's almost like picking an ICF. 99% won't be around. I will say on a positive note, because we get a little bit negative sometimes, but there, there are a few positives to it. Compared to the ICO, I think the ICO 
craze is the wildest thing I've ever experienced in crypto in general. Um, I think it was leagues bigger than what's going on with NFTs in terms of the amount of sheer scammers. But on that, with that being said, a lot of the scammers that were trying to get an ICOs, I mean, if you went to Bitcoin Miami during the uh, the NFT craze, we were there representing PureCoin. During the ICO craze. Yeah, during the ICO craze, it was there representing PureCoin. And I mean, there was, I mean, there was people there, everybody's grandpa advertising ICOs. And you would ask him two questions, like two real technical questions, and they would fall apart. Like, hey, dude, why do we need an ICO for your lawnmower business? And nobody had an answer, but you know why they're there. I will say, I think that significantly dropped off. But the people that survived, like the scammers that survived that era have gotten stronger. So there may be less of them, but they've gotten better at it. And I'm hopeful that as these cycles go and people get burned, they're going to continue to drop off more. But I don't know. It depends no, on how the, strong they get. The cake gets, gets bigger. So, you know, even though if you're if you're actually biting less, you still bite a lot. Uh, and this, this is what keeps attracting these kinds of people in crypto. And that's why I often say there is no escape. Uh, crypto has fallen in this route. Uh, sometime, uh, I don't know, like during 2016, I guess. And it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a ditch, you know. We, the crypto as a whole, they, we can't get out of this. This is the name of the game now until forever, until it dies. And you can argue that crypto, crypto is dead for years now. And this is just basically guys dancing on its grave. Yep. Uh, well, definitely traditional crypto doesn't seem to have a lot of lifeblood left. A lot of OGs like you um, and the people that are around during Bitcoin, Peercoin, and uh, you know, like light, even Litecoin's founding, if you want to include them. That thing, the people that were around then had a widely different vision for what crypto is going to be than what it has become. But I think a lot of that is because, just simply put, the general population isn't going to be interested in something unless it benefits them. And usually that's through the idea of making money, right? Um, I do think, though, and I'm curious to get your opinion on this one, that in the craze of NFTs, the money inflows, this this even happened during ICOs, there are some interesting technologies that came about as a side product. Like I think MetaMask is a good technology that only came around because of the financial gain they got from providing the service. Do you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, but it's also a uh, elementary piece of what's what has become Web3. It's by design. They they knew that they are they are lacking something like MetaMask, so they did it. Yeah, I, MetaMask has been trying for you know they've been around for a while. They've been trying for years, and it wasn't until NFTs became big that they actually had the means to fully fledge out their technology, and they're inching closer and closer to getting then, full dex capabilities their tech is shit it's uh first of all it's not even open source i, I believe that speaks volumes second of all uh there is nothing decentralized about any of this i don't know if, i don't know if people even understand but web3 as a concept is not really decentralized so essentially it's it's failing at one at one thing that's being advertised, you know, it's being advertised as uh, like there's decentralized replacement for like let's say classic web stack, 
but it's failing at, at this thing even. A lot of a big problem that a lot of these new guys are running into. I think Savo Jumal will probably have a million things to say about this. Is I think this is the first time these guys are experiencing when a network gets overwhelmed uh, and the downfalls of proof of work and you know the congested network and all these sort of protocol issues that have been around since the beginning that people have not cared to fix. Uh, so <laughs> I, I want to hear Savo and Gmail talk about their first experience with like gas hikes during congested hours. How do you guys feel about that? <laughs> uh, when I first started, I started with like $200, $300. Uh, <clears throat> so I could only participate really in, uh, they're called whitelist sales, essentially you get to mint it whenever you want over the course of 24 hours before public for when gas is low. And uh, meanwhile, while I'm doing that, I see Jamal, who's been around much longer and had a much bigger bag, doing these public sales. And they he spent, I remember the first time I asked if I could participate, and he said I shouldn't. And it he ended up spending one ETH in gas for the NFTs. I thought that was ludicrous. Uh, but now I just checked yesterday how much I've spent in gas. I mean, after securing more ETH and being able to participate, I've spent now 14 ETH in gas over the last six months. Uh, so I think gas is ludicrous, but at the same time, uh, it prices people out. But I don't think it's that big of an issue when it comes to sales of NFT because kind of priced into the cost of the NFT uh, on the secondary market. So uh gas wars suck but at the same time it's not it's not the end of the world for me it just sucks for people may i ask you on which on which platform are you doing the nfts which platform uh i guess ethereum like if you mean what coin, yeah uh, like let's uh the, i think they call them marketplaces like uh you know OpenSea. yeah OpenSea and stuff yeah yes yeah that's where uh i've only traded on OpenSea. that's kind of the only that's the main one right okay. now Okay. Uh, but yeah, gas war. I mean, they're called gas wars for a reason. They suck. They cost a lot of money, and on top of that, too, you're not even guaranteed to get uh get the NFT. I don't know if Jamal wanted to make a comment on it. Yeah, I think that's really opened my eyes to like some of the really, really big gaping holes in Ethereum, and like why it will never truly be anything forever until it gets its shit together, basically. Because right now, it's completely inoperable for 99% of the world. 99% of the world cannot afford to spend $40 to maybe get something where they'll make money. Because the fails cost $40. It's expensive. That's a lot of money for most of the world. And I think that also goes back to his Web 3 point of taking a lot of people not, like, against open web. And it is definitely, to a degree, them gatekeeping what is allowed on the internet. And I think there's a large section of the NFT community that's all for that, and I don't really approve of that in a way, because I think there's much more utility in giving a premium version, so like say like Wikipedia or something like that, for people who buy a Wikipedia NFT to donate, or something that way, as opposed to something, or like you get a token for donating, and then that token allows you to buy something. That would be cool to me. But like, as for basic services, adapting things to use, I'm so, so, so against that. It's ridiculous. And I can definitely see that being like a dark dystopian future because some of these people are definitely pushing forward in this space who have big, big I, I mean, I don't completely agree with that. I do think there is some coolness of having 
uh, I mean, it's basically like a, a tick into community. Uh, sometimes you got you got to close it off uh, to make the community more tight knit and better. Uh, I mean, probably one of the most recent things that's come out recently uh, that's utilizing NFTs in the real life is Gary V is opening a restaurant in New York, a high end seafood place. And the only way to get into the restaurant is you have to own his NFT to get in. Uh, and right now the cost of that NFT is, I think it's like 3.3 Ethereum. So close to, you know, $10,000. That's, that's the gatekeeping I was, I was talking about. That's exactly what's. But I mean, you could say the same thing for like a private, a private country club or whatever, you know, it's not, yeah, not everyone can get in. If anything, this is more, more uh, welcoming to get into new people. Yes, it costs money, but essentially anyone can do it if you have the money versus having to do a wait list or meet specific qualifications uh, in that sense. I don't know. That, that, that kind of future seems very scary to me, personally. I agree. That screams, that's like that exact elitism I was talking about that I don't like. Like that restaurant thing, like yeah, three eat to go eat with other rich. I mean, people. there are going to be higher price ones, but at the same time, there are going to be lower price ones for the more general public too. Uh, I mean, it's like a, I mean, a concert ticket functions the same exact way. A sporting event ticket functions the same way. I mean, there are going to be things that are more expensive for. It does, it does, but it doesn't. It, the tickets, I mean, the tickets for 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 concerts or for sports events, they don't pretend to be anything, you know. But the NFTs, they do. And second of all, they uh, NFTs consume a very costly infrastructure. You know, Ethereum has. I don't know if you guys probably never tried to work with Ethereum, but recently we did. We have this thing called Rapmeister. It's uh, it's taking peer coins on one side, it's shitting out tokens on the other side, like a bridge. Anyway, we worked with Ethereum recently, and it's horrible. Uh, you know, the costs of running a simple service uh, for Ethereum, they are basically astronomical. I mean astronomical, compared to Bitcoin, they are astronomical. Uh, running a node will set you back like hundreds of dollars a month. And now imagine that, imagine a world where everybody has to be uh, involved in, in, into this shit and, and the costs of operation will just skyrocket. Entire Ethereum network has less capacity than a single first-generation Raspberry Pi. And they are trying to do all of these nonsensical things about it, you know. Isn't that what they're trying to do with ETH 2.0, though, to they, fix all of that? No, 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 it won't. It won't, it won't matter much. It will not change the, the core principles. Got it. Well, what do you think yeah, of I Casper, Pierre? I can't Pierre? Speak on the text that much. <laughs> uh, I want to hear Pierre's comments on casper i don't it doesn't seem like it helped do you think they're actually going to go through with the full proof of stake overall do you think they'll ever stop their proof of work consensus uh sorry i don't follow ethereum enough to be able to comment on this you know in in depth uh, uh last things I, I know about ethereum they are probably you know years old uh 2016 2017 when they first started talking about it I don't really follow that ecosystem, let's say ecosystem, uh, also often. So I'm not really in, in the loop, like what's the latest and latest plan and what's the latest with these things. But I know that 
the they are not changing the core architecture of the system. Uh, to put it simply, in essence, in essence, the blockchains are not made to be scalable. Uh, the, the concept of the blockchain is not scalable, and you know, trying to shuffle, sh 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 you know, every 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 single token, every single recording into single blockchain, that will always fail. That's why I'm always proponent of, uh, you know, what we spoke about in in 2014 and 15 uh, when we were discussing if 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 there is a future in in having uh like side chains and uh chains for apps you know a single app it's living on, on its single chain that's how you have you know cleanness so let's say app dies uh you just unplug this let's say side chain or, or a blockchain for this for this single app and everything goes away with it there is no need for every computer in the world to to have recording about you know this guy trading with NFTs forever for entire eternity. <laughs> yep, I think that's a great point. He, we're trying to funnel everything into one project these days, make a platform that can do everything, yada yada yada. When we should be trying to solve the problem of uh, that layers were really supposed to try to begin solving and obviously it wasn't enough and i know we have talked about the you know the side chain stuff and i think that's related to like atomic swaps which i don't know if they've been fully figured out yet yeah they were years ago so we had a couple other people join nagalam and uh krypton air you guys want to throw anything in or are you just listening yeah hello i've, I've just been listening in but it is an interesting conversation I, I am kind of involved with the uh, Web3 stuff myself, and so I, I kind of understand all points of this. Definitely uh, on board with kind of gatekeeping for certain things, but not so much for others. Although I will agree with Pure Chemist that uh, Ethereum kind of has a, a gatekeeping system of its own just by itself uh, due to the nature of how much it costs to just get started. So that's kind of like a natural a system that keeps people out. And we've seen it kind of with uh, Ethereum clones or other EVM chains where they run into the same problem. Uh, like Avalanche fees were going up to like 50 to 100 bucks as well, which was supposed to kind of solve the Ethereum problem, but it ran into the same problem. Yep. I Now... I mean, we don't like to talk about speculation too much, but obviously uh, it's not too speculative to say that the market has taken a little bit of a downturn. And it looks like a lot of the people that have been introduced to crypto through this NFT and Web3 stuff are starting to see what it's like for crypto to quote unquote pop. I don't think it's popped yet, but, you know, it's, they're starting to see a significant slide in prices. And I'm curious of how this is going to play out. It looks like there's already some sort of panic starting to set in amongst the newer people uh, because they're not used to this sort of thing. So I think relatively soon we'll start seeing the herd thin out like we've seen in the past couple of cycles. I'm sure Savo and Gmail already know people that are saying, I can't do this anymore. Absolutely. I've had a few friends burn out almost instantly once they lost their gas fees. They're like, dude, I lost 0.1. That's three four hundred dollars never doing this again and i was the same way the first time i lost money 
<clears throat> but I, I, thank God I kept going because yeah, it, it really changed his life. I said too uh, before where I mean that first NFT I got in August I was uh, there were ten thousand available and there were I think one hundred and ten thousand people on the website at the time of the drop. If I didn't get that on that day, I probably would have never tried again. Uh, so it's very discouraging when you fail your first one or if you invest in a project and it turns out to be a rug or it turns out not to be successful right out the gate. Uh, a lot of people leave right away. Uh, so, yeah. And you know what? One thing. <clears throat> yeah, go ahead. Uh, so, so you, you guys, uh, Savo and, uh, sorry, I forgot the name of the other one. Jamal. Jamal, yeah. Do you guys understand? So when you mint or you, you purchase NFT, do you understand that there is there is no way for you guys to make money unless, you know, a bigger fool's walks in and buys it off you yeah i mean it's i mean i think it's fair to say that 90 over 90 percent of nft traders are not interested in the art itself or the project itself and they're just looking to make money yeah so uh, where am i where am i aiming at so you you understand this is basically a big game of musical chairs and eventually music will stop for Correct. some things i agree yeah, I mean, is a very, very, very strong difference. So, like, I don't know. Like, there's some actual artists who are producing things along with physical objects. Those are going to stay forever. Um, stuff with, like, COA blockchain stuff, that's going to be huge. Like, there's stuff of actual value, and then there's profile pictures. The profile yeah. pictures of all the adjective animals, 95% going to zero. But there's stuff that's, like, actual value. Like, you got photography moving over to the blockchain. Like, lots of other stuff. And like, it's just... I don't know. Some of it has actual reasoning and actual value. And some of it is just buy this cute animal and make some money on speculate. Yeah, that's, that's it, it's 100% that true that someone... I mean, at the end of the day, with any project, really, someone's going to be losing money. Someone's going to be caught holding the bag at the top. Uh, but at the well, same it's, time, it's I mean, people know that risk when they when they buy an NFT. It's, it's important. It's important that we can we can still uh, publicly admit that this is a fact, you know, because in the past I was observing many of communities similar to this, especially the ICO communities, and you know, you you couldn't say with them out loud that it's basically a musical chairs game. But that's uh, the same yeah. thing with most crypto coins, though, I feel like, too. Someone's, someone's going to be caught at the same, top yeah. buying 99% of all crypto is basically just a game. I, I, often, I often like to describe uh, Bitcoin as a global open Ponzi. Here, let me, let me share something. So uh, with NFTs, it's different than any other crypto before. And the reason for that is because... People will immediately flip after minting it, right? So it creates all these extra kind of uh, tokenomics that regular coins don't have. People kind of uh, mint for the purpose of hoping that they get something that's kind of like a lottery ticket. So they're hoping that, you know, sure, the floor mint might be worth more than the price they paid. But they're really hoping that, you know, they get that legendary or epic one, the really rare ones that end up instantly like 100xing. And so what happens is you have people that mint for, let's say, 0.1 ETH, uh, and then it ends up listing for 0.3 ETH, 
but obviously not everybody is able to exit at 0.3 ETH, only a very small percentage of people, right? And so you have all these people that think they're in profit, but as more time more time passes, more and more people try to sell, and it just kind of uh, raced to the bottom. That's what I've experienced with NFTs, and that's how it's different than crypto coins, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. Right, right after. I mean, after every sale of an NFT, there are the instant flippers that are dumping it right away, uh, and they're they're just chasing the bag. They don't care about the project. They don't care about the art community or anything. They just want to mint it and sell it instantly. And when you have too many people doing that, it's going to cause it to go below the sale price. People lose money. But then there are also times, though, where it gets low enough and people start buying back in and raising it up. Uh, it's definitely a different dynamic to crypto coins. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, I've been in crypto for a lot of years now. And it's kind of weird seeing the difference between how things changed before it used to be all like uh, proof of work coins and they have like a very kind of slow emission rate over a long period of time. And then you had ICOs, which are kind of more instant, but also kind of more uh, drip feeding and linear vesting and all that stuff. And now you have NFTs where just like, you just put all of them on the market at the same time and everyone goes wild. So very different market dynamics than what everyone in crypto was used to before this year. Or last year, rather. Yeah, I will agree with that. Yeah, go ahead, Pierre. Can I talk about uh, art and NFTs? We've we've touched the topic a couple of times, but I will I will try to explain how art doesn't work with NFTs and what what we see now is basically fake. Uh, so yeah, it's important to understand how our NFT is even done on Ethereum, which is the you know basically default platform for these things. Uh, so it's basically a, a token with supply of one and it, it's metadata is a link to somewhere. It can be IPFS, it can be, uh, you know, server, classical server or something like that. In, in a way, it's, it's always a link to somewhere. Uh, so, and there is, there is no guarantee that this, uh, link will contain what it, it's supposed to be linking in the first place. The other, the other day I found a uh, article on Medium. A uh, guy has basically, you know, he, he minted something on OpenSea and then he changed what it is there on this link. Okay. So, I don't know, like, and it was random. And, uh, you know, a couple of different pictures and the final picture was like, you know, picture of uh, uh, human feces, basically. Yeah. And... You know, it's, it's a gamble, so let's say somebody buys this thing from him and they when they first see it, they see one picture, when they when they move it to wallet, they will see human feces and the, you know, the, the third time they will see something else and so on and so on. Uh, what's the point? The I've, point is, oh, yeah, so the point is that uh, art can't work with NFTs as they are and I don't have a problem with NFTs as a concept. I have a problem with how NFTs are implemented and how they are executed because it doesn't make sense. What they are doing now doesn't make sense. It's I not, do think it's, art it's, has it's, some importance to the NFT. The art is kind of the wrapper for the token and the ticket in the community. Uh, the project you described, I imagine, I mean, there are, 
I'm familiar with a project that would have it every time it trades, it changes the picture over time, the more it, the more it's exchanged between hands. Uh, but I've never had an NFT where I bought it and the picture is changed on me without my knowing of the project or it being... Uh, not yet, not yet, but it can happen because, it, look, it, it, what's my point? Uh, there shouldn't be technical means to mutate your NFT, but there is. Ah, I see where you guys are going with this. So let me let me kind of you're right, uh, chemist, in the sense that so the ERC seven twenty one standard, which is the one that most people use, <clears throat> pardon me, uh, it doesn't actually have an immutability function to it. It doesn't. It just kind of gives admin powers to the deployer of the contract, and the deployer of the contract is able to change the base URI which is kind of like the URL for each uh, token. So for example, you have uh, you deploy an NFT with a thousand uh, different token versions, right? So you have, you know, like a profile picture NFT with a thousand different heads and faces and ears and whatever. And what you would do is you would point that URI at some sort of picture. And when you do that, it would kind of set the URI to your domain.com slash picture, whatever, and then the number, which is correspondent to the token ID. And the problem is, as you said, uh, it can be changed to anything, like a picture of human feces if someone wants to troll. But uh, there are some things you can do in your contract. For example, when you deploy a NFT contract, you can definitely have a function to lock that uh, value so that it cannot be changed after you put it there once or twice or however many times you want. And so uh, people can check if they have the technical expertise, but which it, is... It should also be having a field for hash inside the co this, uh, inside the contract. So the, Oh, absolutely. It, it, it's mandatory. I mean, look, when I did the NFT protocol back in 2016, I did it like this. So you have a link and you have a hash. Absolutely. There are some uh, NFTs, I believe, that do have hashes attached to it. Uh, I believe one of them was Rumble Kong's uh, League, which is one of the more popular ones that some celebrities bought into as well. And what they did was they, they stored the pictures on IPFS, which is the a system that Filecoin uses to store images. Now, I won't kind of get into a debate about how reliable that is, but it is um, reliable up till now, at least. And what that does is when you store something on Filecoin, it kind of hashes it. And so the link will never change. It will always stay the same. As long as you have the same file, the yeah, hash will the, stay the same. It's the same as on IPFS, IPFS basis. I mean, uh, IPFS and Filecoin are quite alike. Uh, uh, basically, Filecoin is a monetization of IPFS. Right. So... What they also did was, because uh, they were randomly generated, right? Like I said before, with when you're minting an NFT, a lot of people are doing it for the lottery aspect. And so you want you want people to know that it's not rigged or you haven't changed it or you're not trying to personally profit off of it. So what they did was they uploaded the actual hash of the files and then they kind of like ran a function in the NFT contract to randomly... Uh, like randomly sort through their database and add like a specific number to it. I forget what this process is called, but it has a has a name to it. 
where you just add a random number and it shuffles everything in that order. And there's, uh, there's provenance for that. There's no benefit for a project to change their pictures at will. They might have the power to do it. There's no benefit for, for them to go through with that. Additionally, with also, I mean, I've been on two project releases. We do have the power, if we wanted to, to do to give the one-of-ones to certain token holders, i.e. like the team. But yep. you, you avoid doing that. The, the risk of doing that and getting caught doing that completely destroys the whole project well, that's, legitimacy that's not of the, the point project. that's not the point we are we we have crypto we have blockchains specifically what because we wanted to have systems which can't be mutated by anybody admin or otherwise that's why the project have been utilizing a chain link brf recently too for the randomization so everybody knows that it's true random and no one's getting fucked and it's all verified on the chain link it does it does add so the fact that most uh, most NFT projects don't actually have kind of th this locking mechanism. If you go on um, what is a BAYC, uh, the Board Ape Yacht Club, if you go on OpenSea on their page, it'll say that the metadata is frozen, which means that it can no longer be updated. But most projects uh, to this day still don't have that. Uh, they don't have a function within their smart contract where it says, look, the deployer can no longer update this. And so what, what that means is that just like how, you know, ICOs raised money in 2017 and then uh, our treasury got hacked or something like this, it's the same kind of uh, vector that NFT projects have where if the private key gets hacked of the initial deployer, like the project creators, if their wallet ever gets hacked, then all of the NFTs are at risk of kind of uh, being changed to whatever the hacker wants and there's no way to there's no way to uh, fix that in a decentralized way the only way you can fix it is by telling OpenSea, hey this is what it should point to but then you know that kind of defeats the point of nfts right so th that's i personally think there should be more of an effort to make things immutable but uh that doesn't seem to be what like communities are pushing for nowadays yeah communities don't seem to care and this is this is this is why basically i'm raising this this topic because i, I believe that communities around revolving around nfts they don't even understand how shit is the stack that they are using and essentially i mean uh, recently they they spoke about gas fees and how how much they are actually burning on ethereum on these fees uh if you're not using blockchain as it's supposed to be used, then why are you using it? Why are you paying all this money for gas fees? You don't have to do it. You can because what you're what you're doing with NFTs can be done uh, using regular web stack. Uh, I mean, like you know, creating some kind of uh, pictures which have a unique identifications and trading them with money or otherwise. That can be done basically in, in a day using you know some Python and uh, Nginx. Absolutely. I think uh, the product here is uh, absolutely the product here is the token, not the actual art. Uh, it's just kind of, you know, like if a famous artist releases art on the blockchain, that is the purpose of that is for the famous artist to tap into the liquidity of the blockchain, not necessarily for. That's right. That's right. Yeah. 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 So 
not, not necessarily for the uh, art to have some sort of meaningful impact. So I, I do think that can change in the future, but right now that's what it is. Maybe maybe people who are listening and who will listen to this eventually, uh, they will see me as anti-NFT, but I'm not. Uh, so my, my problem with NFTs is how they are done. Uh, they're done wrong and they're supposed to be better. Uh, I, I was a couple of times I've tried, uh, let's say, advising people and maybe even let's, let's starting to prepare for some kind of project which would touch NFTs, let's say. Uh, the concept was basically, let's say, OnlyFans. Uh, so every, every single uh, element uh like of content you know video picture whatever uh all of this would be uh let's say nft and basically you're not buying a link to something you're buying access right uh i think that's that's uh much 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 better uh way to apply this technology to something than linking basically pictures so uh, in this OnlyFans, uh, let's say clone, when customer would buy a this 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 token, they would uh, be given right to access some kind of content, and they 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 can of course transfer the right to consume the content to third parties by selling it. Uh, so you can have the same concept of secondary market, but you know it's. Uh, of course, it's technically more the challenging solution because you have to uh, invent how to, you know, have encryption, which uh, we can, which can be uh, unlocked uh, on demand by somebody who owns some token on some blockchain. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it was a very, very good idea, but unfortunately, we could not find. Uh, somebody to listen for this but we uh, during my during my days in 2001 uh, 2021 many many people were interested in in uh, simply linking shit into ERC 721 contract so there's definitely demand for simple stupid shit which doesn't even work and there is uh, there's hardly any interest for something more special you know, it's very interesting because I don't like to view the world through a lens of uh, scarcity and, uh, you know, seeing that there's a limited number of things. But we definitely see that there is a limited number of developers and they're all being sucked into, they're all being sucked into like uh, speculative stuff. And, you know, instead of uh, companies now being integrating this technology into their business, it's like now OpenSea is integrating all these companies coming in to sell their NFTs. Like, for example, uh, I, I, I do agree with your point that there's a lot of uh, use cases for NFTs that we're kind of ignoring now. And, and one of those things that I personally have uh, thought of many times and I've heard other people talk about is for example like uh, concert tickets or vouchers so Im imagine like the most when you think of billions of people using nfts when it's not going to be profile pictures it's not going to be stuff like that it's going to be kind of useful stuff and one of the things i always think of is think of like you know the last time you went to mcdonald's and you know you got a coffee and they give you a voucher for you know if you have five of these vouchers 
you can get a free coffee. And so you calculate the cost of a coffee and it's like a dollar fifty or something like that. And then you do the math in your head and it's like, oh well, each voucher is worth like thirty cents if you equate it like that. Now you see when you get a coffee from McDonald's, they could give you an NFT as that voucher. So you can collect NFT vouchers. And if you don't want to redeem five vouchers for coffee, you can simply sell them to someone who is trading those. So someone could pay 25 cents per voucher. That 30 cents of McDonald's value has 25 cents of real life value. Yeah, and that's, so that's how I that, see NFTs. That's a good application of tech, but imagine like, uh, okay, the the cost of sending NFT would be five or six times more than the cost of coffee. Well, absolutely with today's technology, yeah. So it's a it's with a no go it's a no go step zero basically. Yeah, I with uh, with Ethereum technology today, absolutely agree. I think but that's not to discount blockchain technology. I mean, if we're talking about technology, there's a lot of stuff that we do on the blockchain for no reason other than it's on the blockchain that you could just do with simple idempotence like REST APIs. Yeah. Uh, this this technology isn't new. There's things that you can't do with item potence, like traditional non-mutable REST APIs that you can do on the blockchain, like decentralized companies and stuff like that, but nobody cares about that kind of stuff, even though to me that's probably the some of the biggest applications of the technology in general. It seems like Pierre said people want to do weird stuff on the blockchain that to me doesn't make sense because having NFTs on the blockchain isn't necessary. And uh, there seems to be an ulterior motive to put these things on certain projects where it doesn't make sense. Like Ethereum, since the beginning of time, if you're a develop developer, you knew that it was a congested junk pile, basically, if anybody started using it. It's not super easy to start working on, as they claim it is. It usually costs a lot of money, and you're basically at the mercy of the miners and how much gas is at the time. It's just, it's wild. The same thing happens with Bitcoin. Like before Ethereum, when Bitcoin was all the craze, you try to send any transaction in the middle of a network spike and you had to bribe miners to even get your shit through. It's it's wild. Absolutely agree on that. And last year we saw the big kind of rise of all these. Uh, what they used, they used to claim it's a layer two network, but then their market caps got so large that they could no longer justify being a layer two. So now they call themselves layer ones. Uh, like, for example, Avalanche and Polygon and Phantom and whatever other ones there are today. Aren't they and, just, uh, uh, just cheap Ethereum clones, basically? Yeah. So if we look at the cost of gas, it, it actually has, what, three variables in it? Uh, so you have, the, you have how much gas a transaction uses. You have how much GUI you're paying for the uh, transaction. And then you multiply those to get a Ethereum value. And then you multiply that times uh, the Ethereum USD price. And so what happens is you now have all these same networks where they're all EVM. Uh, they call themselves EVM compatible, which in reality means it's kind of just a copy paste of Ethereum with a different chain ID. And so the only thing that's really changed in this equation is that they've uh, reduced the price, right? Because you know, if you use Polygon, the price of Matic, which is the asset it costs to transact, the price of Matic is like $2, whereas the price of Ethereum is 3000 And so that's the only kind of 
uh, difference that there is between Polygon and Ethereum. And so if the price goes up, as you saw with Avalanche and Binance Smart Chain, if the price goes up uh, to like in the hundreds of dollars per coin, like BNB is like 500 bucks and Avalanche is like 100, you see that it's the exact same congestion problems. So then what do you do? Um, people moved on to the cheaper ones like Phantom and Aval- uh, sorry, Phantom and Polygon. And so what happened then is these coins went from being half a cent to transact to now costing like a dollar to transact because the GUI went from two GUI per transaction to like 300 GUI per transaction. And this is in the span of a year. So uh, this uh, scalability issue hasn't been solved. And it's one of these things that people are just going to say, oh, we'll just create more blockchains and you just have to bridge your assets over. Let me, let me ask you something. What I say, uh, I don't really yeah, go ahead. develop or anything with Ethereum. I don't care about ERC or any of that stuff, to be honest with you. So I'm curious, does it work like Bitcoin? Where I, I you probably can't do this in like MetaMask or online wallets, but are you able to specify how much way or gas or whatever you can send with your transaction like you can in bitcoin if you want to bribe a miner to take your transaction first yes well yes and no so the way it works is you uh select kind of a gas fee which is it comes in two parts first is gas limit which is uh, how much gas like how much uh kind of like the size of the transaction how many bytes is it right uh, and then you have the GUI. How much GUI does it cost? GUI is just a unit like SATs. Uh, and that's kind of like your SATs per byte equivalent. And so what you can do is you can set your GUI really high, which is like setting your SATs per byte really high. And it gets your transaction through very fast. But Ethereum added uh, this or last year, sorry. Um, and I, I don't know if it was like August or September or something like that. They added in EIP-1559, which kind of essentially plans the gas fees. So what it does is it creates kind of a moving average of the recent gas prices. And then you have to pay above the moving average. And everything that's the difference between uh, your payment and the moving average is actually not even sent to the miner. It's burned. It's crazy that that people even buy into this crap, dude. Like, that, that... There's people out there that will die hard by proof of work when like shit like this is what happens. And the common ninety nine percent of people don't even know that you can do this because they don't understand how the technology works. They use online wallets and they don't understand that they can't get their transactions through when stuff is falling because there's a whale out there paying however much he wants for the gas or however much he wants for in sats to get his shit through first. It's wild to me. Absolutely. And if you look, there's a website called ultrasound.money, which is kind of like a a meme on the sound money thing for Bitcoin. So it's ultrasound.money. And you'll see that ever since the uh, kind of EIP 1559, actually something like 1.6 million, 1.5 million Ethereum has been burned in half a year. And, you know, if you convert that to dollars, it's like, almost $5 billion. And you think about that and it's like, that's 5 billion less dollars going to miners that are, you know, reinvesting it into the ecosystem. That's money. That's just gone. So are they trying to become non-inflationary? Is that their attempt at it? 
Yeah, yeah, that's that's the meme. Yeah, it's crazy because yeah, I'm looking at the I'm looking at like the gas tracker, and OpenSea accounts for 21 percent of all the gas fees. Yes, that's that's about right. So what happens when NFTs lose public interest and the bubble pops, and these miners are going to rush off of this chain because it's not profitable anymore? I think it's going to be very bad. Well, they're getting kicked off the chain anyway, right? So that's one of the reasons why they implemented this. Well, they because they will, they're they will, find, they will find something else to mine, probably. Ethereum Classic. Ethereum Classic, or you know, there's uh, there's a number of GPU coins. I I believe this will Zcash. You know, I guess uh, I I don't know now, but I I guess the you know uh, they will try to find business for themselves. It was they were really raking it in. So if you before EIP one five five nine, if you were checking on Ether Scan, so the block subsidy on Ethereum is two ETH, right? Uh, they get two ETH every block times are on average thirteen seconds. So every thirteen seconds, they're getting two ETH during the huge NFT hype where there are a ton of mints and stuff. And there was also some DeFi hype at the same time, so it was kind of like two bubbles at the same time. So basically, Ethereum is now burning half of fees, right? Uh, yeah, pretty much. But so hold on, let me finish this point. So, so, so they were on when I was looking, and I used to look about once or twice a day. I was doing a lot of transactions, and some blocks were up to something like twelve to fifteen ETH per block. So that's seven times the amount of a subsidy. A Bitcoin has never had that many fees ever. Like that's crazy. And one day the developers just decided, yeah, you guys are not getting any of that anymore. Well, what they did well, smells a lot like Peercoin. You know, destroying the fees, even though they went only halfway. Well, the fees burned are not a set amount. They're kind of like decided algorithmically by the base fee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand oh. that. I understand that. But it's still, it's the base concept, you know, destroying the fee over, uh, as uh, you know, because when we destroy the fee, you pay to the whole network. When you uh, give the fee to the miner, you're giving it just a single person or a group. Maybe they really do want to go full proof of stake. Yeah, yeah. That's that's kind of why. Well, no miner was supporting this. It was all kind of like a hostile takeover kind of situation the only miners that supported it were the chain agnostic miners so basically the exchanges like Huobi pool and uh binance pool and whatever other ones but none of the actual ethereum yeah yeah exactly so none of the actual it's it's dictatorship so they can do whatever they want i mean they they have proven that in very very early days when uh with with ethereum classic situation (laughs) yeah when somebody makes a decision we will hard fork and you you go with hard fork there is no questions asked i'm not sure anybody knows about that i don't think a lot of people even know about the rollback and the fact that it's even possible should scare nobody that is new in crypto knows anything about that they don't know anything about the Bitcoin cash split. They don't know anything about any of that. It's just, it's such a different generation now. It's kind of like the boomers of crypto, even though it's, you know, like teenagers. Like the whole cypherpunk thing is just, nobody knows anything about that anymore. Yeah. It's all about kind of just, uh, it looks cool. It makes money. Uh, why does it make money? Well, I don't know, but you know, it, it does. We just hit an hour, so probably should wrap it up soon. Do you guys have any 
thing you want to bring up? Pierre, you got anything? Uh, yeah, I have some of my notes that I didn't uh, burn during the course, so maybe I can just spit that out and uh, we, we can be done. The floor is yours. All right. So back to the point of uh, Web3. Uh, I have argued that it's not really decentralized, and now I will explain why. Uh, first of all, uh, running Ethereum nodes it will cost you, I don't know, like anywhere between, I don't know, 17 to maybe 25 euros a month uh, if you rent a VPS. So naturally, uh, if you want to cost, cut costs, you will you will hire service like uh, either Infura or Alchemy. These are two, uh, two major providers for Ethereum APIs out there and even we have used Alchemy recently for this Repmeister project. Uh, so that's basically how you communicate with the blockchain. You never touch blockchain, you never hear blockchain, you never see blockchain. You just uh, use the API offered by a third service. You validate nothing because there's nothing to validate. They just speech you JSON and uh, you shoot JSON at them. So it's basically the same thing as a um, regular web stack basically. Uh, when MetaMask is communicating uh, with something, it communicates also through Infura or Alchemy uh, or uh, what's the name of the explorer? Mihai, what's the name of the explorer on, on Ethereum ecosystem? I forgot. Etherscan? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. So yeah, so basically three APIs run the entire show. And if you if you use if you do NFTs, you use OpenSea, which have their own API, and you use that API. You basically never touch blockchain. So yeah, yeah, that's, and, that's some, some and you use CoinGecko API to get the Ethereum USD price. <laughs> that too, yeah. So but yeah, what I'm, my point here is uh, again that it's uh, you know we have this entire stack, which is using basically using Ethereum as a database, in essence, uh, even though nothing is validated. Uh, so you have means to validate, you can validate everything on blockchain, but nothing of this modern stack revolving about Web3, they don't do what they, should, what they are supposed to do. They treat everything as, you know, as if they are coding, you know, app, classic app, like using Node.js and stuff. Well, I think that's because a lot of the people that are developing these are not crypto developers. They're developers that came because they get sniped and paid insane salaries to make these technologies and it's no questions asked kind of deal. I don't think any of the big crypto developers that we know that have made actual breakthroughs support any of this to begin with. So they're not working on it. It's absolutely the same kind of like without getting into too much like historical drama but it's like you have one camp that really dominates the social media and have uh, really um orientated the narrative towards okay this is what web3 is and this is what we need to do for web3 and kind of all the old crypto uh let's say the crypto commandments all of them have just been kind of ignored and people have terrible opsec which used to be one of those things that people would laugh at you at, but now you know everyone has that ETH in their name, and even um, having an NFT as your profile picture kind of doxes your wallet, right? So, uh, what I'm trying to say is that this new generation came in and like 
blew out everybody that was uh, there before them just because they have so much more funding from VCs. It's incredibly hard to find a developer that knows how to work on a core protocol. And it's not even easy to find one that can do second layer stuff. And uh, Pierre can tell you that firsthand. Yep. It's very rare to find a developer these days that knows how to work on a core protocol. It's well, that, crazy, there's so much. Hard. There's so much infrastructure for Ethereum now that like people never have to actually touch the uh, actual protocol. They don't have to like download their own software. They just run it off of something else. The, uh, yeah, the it's point I'm like making is like the, play, I don't see how these strides are even gonna be able to be made unless a lot of people who are software engineers by trade get sniped by companies that actually want to improve some of these protocols. Until then, I think we're just going to see nothing but devs being hired to make second layer protocols for money and then nothing comes of it. In modern crypto, why bother with improving existing thing if you if you can amass uh, human, you know, I mean, like developers, humans, and if you have money to pay them? It's actually better for you uh, economically to go and start a fresh blockchain. You know, you will you will promise that you will cure cancer and COVID and and you will have infinite scalability and blah blah blah. And that's how you get more money than uh, trying to improve something which is already out there. Is there anything else you wanted to bring up off that list, Pierre? Uh, no, that's it. That's it. Because we can also save stuff for next time. I think we want to do these, what, every two weeks now, we decided? Yeah, let's uh, let's try. Awesome. Looking forward, looking forward to you guys to tell us what, what should be the next topic. Yeah, NFTs was an easy one because obviously that's what's going on. Uh, we'll scrape something together for next time. Probably uh, something to do with the fall of NFTs. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, depends on what the market's doing. <laughs> eventually, eventually we will have a uh, you know podcast with you know the the bubble collapse, blah blah blah. Yeah. Well, we've we've done it before, and we'll do yeah, it again. Yeah. yeah. Thanks it's for coming, always... everybody that came. Gmail, appreciate you coming out. I think Sav already left. Uh, it was good getting your guys' input. Hope you had fun. Thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. I enjoyed the, the banter. It was really good talking to you guys. Thank you. On behalf of the Peercoin Foundation, thanks for everybody listening, and uh, we'll see you next time.